Welcome once again to another fantastic episode of the Business Creators Radio Show. We help business creators like you win at the game of business and marketing so you can thrive from your intersection of your brilliance and your passion and make a difference for your community, market, and audience. Please take a moment and visit our website, www.businesscreatorsradioshow.com. You'll find hundreds of episodes covering a breadth and depth of topics relevant to you as a business creator and links to subscribe via your favorite network so you get fresh episodes delivered straight to you. And now, here's today's episode. Let's get started. My name is Adam Homey. I am your host, and I am honored by your wise decision to tune in and invest in yourself today. Today, we're going to have a very interesting conversation with somebody I've been working to get on Business Creators Radio Show for a while. This is somebody who's very well known in the entrepreneurial world, and it's my singular honor to be able to connect with this gentleman and have the opportunity to have him join us here and share some of his wisdom with us. The title of the interview is Turn the Lights On, and we're going to delve into what that means. To illustrate to us what we need to do to flip that switch, I have with us my friend Roger Sargent. Roger is a business growth consultant who has mentored over a hundred, excuse me, a thousand independent business professionals to rev up their revenues, boost their profits, and make tough decisions since he founded Affluence Business Solutions. Roger's experience and talents were owned over 35 years in the trenches, working as a partner in the hotel, health club, and restaurant industries. His depth of experience in finance, staffing, and marketing, service delivery, quality assurance, and public relations offer each and every client advice, clarity, and accountability to take action. And if you want to check him out, you can go to our website and you can see his contact information. I just want to leave the flexibility that he may change it over time. So this is what we typically do. Uh, For those who offer their phone number and email address, just go to the website and check it out. You'll be able to see it there. I think you're going to find yourself moving to connect with him after you hear what he has to say. But in the meantime, Roger Sargent, come on in. The weather's fine. Hello, Adam. How are you? I couldn't, I couldn't be better if you paid me a million dollars, but you should try it just to see what happens. <laughs> the, the check is in the mail, big guy. All right. All right. I love it. I love it. Now, I read off your very impressive bio. In fact, so impressive. I'm not sure if I'm qualified to be here. And this is my show. So what, I, what we're going to do now is we want to take a moment, take a step back and discover more about your own journey and what's brought you to where you are today, above and beyond the official bio. Brought you here today where you serve your business creators from your intersection of your brilliance and your passion and make a difference for your community, market, and audience. All right. So, Adam, I started out, I wanted to be a tennis professional, and I found out after a couple of tournaments that there was a whole lot more guys out there that are better tennis players than I was. So I I dropped off the tour and I decided that I was going to stay with tennis and I became a tennis teaching professional. And then I realized that, wow, there's a lot of running around and a lot of banging on my joints running around those tennis courts. So I decided that I would move into the business of being in the tennis and fitness industry. And then after about 10, 12 years of that, I had the opportunity to become a partner 
in uh, in a health club and tennis club. And I've never looked back with my partnerships that I have with those gentlemen. I'm now still a partner with the uh, with the the hotel and a restaurant, including the the uh, health club. And what I found out is that you know business is business, no matter what industry you're in. It's really the processes, systems that you have in place that's going to help you move that journey forward from being just a business owner to a very successful, viable business and business owner. And so that's where I am today. I've uh, I've learned a lot from a lot of good consultants. I've learned a lot from a lot of bad consultants. And so uh, I think I have the mix of being in the business today of owning and operating a business and learning from the best like you, Adam. I think we're going to discover a lot from you today, actually. And you gave us a few points in the green room before we got started. Do you like me to cover? And we may do these in a specific order. We may do them just we naturally flow in the conversation. But what I'd like to do is I'd like to take what you just said and go a step further with it. What makes your own services unique to many other business consultants? Well, I'm still in the business of being in business. And so I still have ownership in a hotel, a restaurant and a health club. And especially with today's times with the COVID-19 and all the restrictions put upon us, that when I'm talking with business owners, either my clients or prospective clients, when they are talking about what they're dealing with on a day in a day out basis, I am too, because I'm still in the game of being a business owner myself. Yeah, that is something we don't see every day in the, in the consulting world. I'm kind of in, in the trenches guy myself with the things that I teach and the things that I consult and coach with people on. And I see so many folks that became instant experts. I remember back in my early days of being involved in internet marketing and some of my early clients would ask me to become an expert in something within 24 hours. So for example, I didn't know much of anything about uh, placing ads on the internet and somebody asked me to become an expert in Google AdWords within 24 hours and give them a briefing. What? <laughs> I, exactly. I, I have friends who have been who have actually been investing in Google ads for 20 years and they don't call themselves experts. Yes. That's amazing. It's, it's amazing. And that, to me, that's one of the challenges that we have navigating the environment of business is how do we know that the people that we're speaking with actually understand what it is you're doing? Or did they read a book somewhere? Or did they attend some coaching session and get told, oh, you can charge big, big bucks telling other people about this? To me, that's that's kind of a minefield that some of us work our way through. Yeah. You know, and, and it leads me to that, that old proverbial question, what's the problem with having your own personal chef? You're only going to eat what he knows what to cook. And in the business world, especially of consulting, so many different times you, you get in front of someone who's supposed to be that so-called expert, and, and they only know a fraction of really what they were meant to, what they were hired for. And that's right. the problem with being in business is that, who, who can you trust? Who can you not trust? And so with that in mind, I, I have put together, when I started launching my business, consulting business, and I realized that I did not have all the, the skill sets because I go in and I talk to my clients as if I'm a business owner of that particular business. 
And so I know what's going to be necessary to help that company move forward, but I might not have that particular skill set. So I created a whole list of who's. So that way, when someone comes to me and says, I need to have this, as you talked about, you know, that social media marketing skill set, I have someone that I've already vetted and trusted with my own business life that I can say, here's who we need to talk to regarding this particular issue that you need to uh, uh, discuss with your business and implement with your business. For example, I even though I've moved largely into the world of helping entrepreneurs launch and host their podcasts, I still get a lot of questions from folks who want me to help them to set up a social media ad. After 20 years, Roger, I still don't know how. It doesn't <laughs> yep. interest me, much less yep. maybe anything I really want to know anything about. That being said, if you and I were working together and you wanted to do social media advertising, regardless of my personal feelings about it, which are actually pretty well known, I have two recommendations I can give you. I myself have never done social media advertising for my business, but I have clients who have and who have been successful with it. And I can connect you with the same people they worked with. So I can still deliver that. It's just not me. And I think there's another angle to this too. You said, and I want to repeat this for our listeners. I think it's very powerful that the problem with hiring your own personal chef is you're only going to eat what they know how to cook. I think what we're going to continue the analogy of the personal chef as the consultant, the coach, the contractor, the team member, and you become limited by what they know. I think also that there is a challenge that the service provider themselves feels that what they knew yesterday may not be valid today, but they're reticent about admitting that because it may cause people to think they don't know what they're doing. I would argue the exact opposite, but have you ever seen such a phenomenon? Well, you know, especially, well, let's, let's, let's start back. You know, 82% of all small businesses fail within their first two to four years of existence. Right. Because, because most entrepreneurs, they, they, they start their business because they have fallen in love with their trade, either that product or that service. And what they don't understand is what it really means to own and operate a business because they're so much into the trenches of their trade. And so when they reach out to someone says, you need to hire a bookkeeper, great. I, I, I interview bookkeepers. I have no idea what I'm supposed to ask them because I have no idea really what they do, but I hire someone because I like that person. Yeah. Well, guess what? They, they might only know maybe one-tenth or a fraction of what really a full charge bookkeeper is supposed to do, but because the owner who is in love with their trade doesn't know better, they hire someone because their, their resume says they have bookkeeping experience. Well, that, that goes back to that chef who only knows what they need, know how to cook. Uh -huh. Because uh -huh. if, 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 I, if I need a full charge bookkeeper, but the person who is telling me that I'm interviewing with says, yes, I can do that, but they only have experience with, let's say, accounts payable, I've now lost a lot of time and probably a lot of, you know, you know, money paying this person to only do a fraction of what I really want them to do. But I didn't know better because I didn't know better. Right. <laughs> you know, and that's what the problem with most business owners are, is that they get in front of someone who can talk a good game. But when it comes to delivering that game, they're they're not that great at 
Yeah, 15 years ago, I owned a web development firm. And I'm going to share a story that's from my book, Groundhog Days, an event, not a business strategy. And at the time, we were bringing on clients like picking up tickets at a bakery. It was amazing. <laughs> As we brought the clients on, we found that a lot of them had really crap cheap hosting for their websites. So I was working with this one company, and we encouraged everybody to become clients of this hosting company that I recommended. Now, I wasn't a reseller. All I was getting was a modest $50 referral fee, uh, which to me was reasonable for having the conversation of, hey, this, this company is great. And for a while, they were awesome. Their servers were lightning speed fast. Their customer service was out of this flipping world. Then they got bought out and everything went to hell. And awesome customer service turned to long wait times so that we could be told, oh, well, the website crashed because WordPress overwhelmed the server. It's like you sell WordPress hosting. It's in the title. You mean to tell me that your sites are cracking because of WordPress? And I was, you know, amateur educated enough on servers to be able to see I could see the cracks looking from the outside, looking in that they had a major network wide crash on the horizon. And I would keep alerting them to this news say, servers are fine. So when they did have that catastrophic crash, I, I couldn't help it, Roger. I had to, I had to keep messaging in while they were trying to fix it to say, I told you so. Yeah. So what happened So what happened is, Ultimately, we folded the web development firm because I didn't really, candidly, I just didn't want to do it. It wasn't my brilliance and it wasn't my passion. I had to go to the clients who were leaving as well as the clients who were going to stay with us and evolve with us as we became a website conversion consulting firm and ask them to trust me again and move them to better hosting. The clients who were staying because I didn't want to have three-fourths of the relationship being fixing their damn hosting when... We will, the real work we were going to do with them was the art of website conversions and helping them gain more sales from their existing assets. And for the clients who were leaving, we wanted to leave them in a better place than we found them. So I had to tuck my tail between my legs and go to all these companies and ask them to trust me again. I believe that when you get the chef who only knows what, that only knows their own recipes, part of that is driven because service providers, consultants, coaches, again, feel that if they have to acknowledge that what they recommended last year is no longer what they recommend, that it actually didn't work out in the long term, that there's some sort of issue that's going to make them look bad, so they're afraid to do it. Remember, and I don't, I'll explain in a minute why I think that is, but I think that that actually inhibits them from being willing to make the pivots necessary to transform them into a long-term partner in success. You know, and you're, 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 you're dead right on there with Adam. I, when I was first looking to, uh, to join the consulting business consulting world, I got invited to go to a, a highly respected uh, business consultant. And during the, the first half of the day of this two day workshop, I, I couldn't make sense of what they were saying regarding good business practices. And then the, the first night of the workshop, you know, we all go out to dinner together. We all have a few cocktails. Our tongue gets a little bit loose. I come to find out that this gentleman filed bankruptcy twice, and now he's the leading consultant. 
and he's teaching the same things that that probably helped put him into bankruptcy. Yeah. And so so to that just proves your point that instead of moving on and in, in, in creating more efficient, more viable solutions, he's staying focused with that same process that really got him in a position to have to file bankruptcy twice. I don't disagree with that at all. And I think it's also because we hear stories like that, that people are reticent to acknowledge the need to pivot. Now, that same guy actually could have been a very effective advocate for what he was doing. In fact, the story of having gone bankrupt twice could have added credibility if he was able to tell his third time's a charm story and his value to the listener, to his clients being, hey, I actually did this the hard way. I went through it twice. So I know what to do and what not to do. That's the reason why you should trust me. And also, and also because of my experiences, I know how to pivot. I know how to stay current. I know how to adapt to circumstances as they arise. If they all would do that, that would be great, huh? Yeah. And, and for folks who legitimately are just recognize the need to pivot. I, I know people personally who had set themselves up as consultants who could help people with Facebook bot marketing, where you do the bot bots or the messenger. And then last year, and I think this started with something on the European Union or something like that, Facebook put all these restrictions on all the bot management companies, and now they can't do broadcasts anymore, among other things. And so all these consultants who had hyped up bot marketing is the future of broadcasting, the the new email, it all got wiped out. Poof. Did you know that if you, in most circumstances, if you engage with a bot through Facebook Messenger, they're not allowed to contact you after 24 hours? I did not know that. Yeah, in, in most circumstances, the interaction cannot go on longer than 24 hours. That's why that's why broadcasting went right out the window. It's been the uniform experience of everybody I know who got involved with bot marketing, including myself. So there are still uses for it. It can still be used as a customer service tool. And there are ways you can actually use it to for marketing nurturing conversations. But if somebody subscribed to your bot thing more than 24 hours ago, you can't send them a broadcast because you're outside what's known as the 24-hour window. So that kind of took the whole conception of it and stood on its head. You probably in 2019, maybe even to 2020, signed up for a lot of things that involved click here to get an instant message that has your link. That put you on people's bot lists. And then you got notified every time they did a webinar. Did you notice about six months ago all that abruptly stopped? Yes. That's what happened. Okay. So, so imagine, so imagine the situation those providers were in. This whole thing they built out just changed on the dime. So their re- their recipe couldn't even be cooked anymore. <laughs> but I think that's another thing that people are afraid of. Now, I have a hypothesis for this, and I've shared this on other episodes. So I want to get your thoughts on it. I imagine you were probably a pretty good kid growing up but did you ever do things where you made mistakes or did something wrong 
Exactly. Exactly. So <laughs> now, 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 did, now did some adult, maybe it was a parent, maybe it was an uncle or aunt, maybe it was a grandparent, maybe it was a teacher or a, a religious minister, who knows, did they ever say, now, Roger, what do you say? And you say, I'm sorry, and I'll never do it again. I think that right there goes to the heart of why as adults we have such challenges pivoting with integrity that puts us in that situation. And, and for our listeners, we're getting to the point where we're going to turn the lights on. I'm showing you the darkness right now, where because they were put in that situation of having to promise they would never do it again. How do you know you'll never do it again? Can you guarantee that? Not at all. Not at all. Because you, because you don't know what circumstances you're going to find yourself in. You don't know that you might not have a sea change in your thinking that makes you reject the idea that that was wrong in the first place. You might find yourself in a values conflict where you have two values you believe in, but they are pulling you in opposite directions in a situation. Then what do you do? It's not all, it's not all so cut and dried as they teach you in first grade. And I believe that because some of the lessons that get really deeply embedded in our brains happen when we're very young, when we're told, say you're sorry and say you'll never do it again, that it makes people very timid and gun-shy, particularly when it comes to needing to pivot and develop new recipes for their personal chef clients, for lack of a better phrase, and one hell of an analogy, if you ask me. Yeah, you know, and, you know, to that point, you know, <laughs> playing tennis, when you're on the court and you're all by yourself playing your opponent, and, you know, you're, you work with your coach and he tells you this is exactly how you're supposed to do it. This is what you're supposed to do. And when you make that mistake in practice, you promise you're never going to do that again. But then all of a sudden you're in a match, your heart's pounding, you're breathing hard, you're trying to win, you got all your emotions high. And that ball comes over the net a certain way where you're just tempted to try that one more time because you know it's just going to work, right? Yep. It, and, and you do it. And it, and it doesn't work, you know? So now you're walking back in the middle of that damn game thinking, okay, my coach is going to just chew my rear out because, <laughs> because I, 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 I took the opportunity and I, and I, and I missed it again, you know? So now all of a sudden where I'm supposed to be concentrating on the very next point, all I can think about is my damn coach and my yelling in my ear saying, why did you do that? Why did you do that? And before you know it, you've lost, 15 points in a row because you can't get that damn coach's voice out of your head. Right. So, yeah. so that's where the problem comes in is that we somehow, some way, especially as business coaches. And, and this is what, you know, I'm glad you referenced your book because, you know, I, I do a lot of business reading. I, I facilitate an executive book club and yeah. I have to tell you your book, Adam, the, the groundhog book, it's, it's an event, not a business strategy. It is by far the most relevant book that a, a business owner can really use as their Bible, because you talk about real life situations, just like what we just talked about that, that, you know what, we promise we'll never do that again, but you come to that real life uh, fork in the road and you've got to make a game time decision right then and there. And yep. You know, I, I went for it and I missed it. So, you know what, now I've got another learning moment if you take it as a learning moment and you can get through it. But, but so many times that you, you make that mistake 
And it really didn't cost you that much, but it was a mistake, but it didn't cost yeah. you anything. But then all of a sudden you get to that same fork in the road, let's say a month road or down the road or two months down the road and you're gun shy and this opportunity is going to work for you, but you're gun shy to the point that you don't attempt it. And guess what? You lose out on a great opportunity. And that's where, especially these last 12 months with the COVID-19 pandemic and all the restrictions coming, you've used the term a couple of times pivoting. You know, that's probably the most overused word right now in the in the English language. I know. I noticed I, I noticed I was starting to get repetitive. Yeah, I <laughs> know. Uh, but but in business, you know, we were talking as a business consultant and coach. We've been talking pivoting for years <laughs> with our clients. And now all of a sudden it's a must because of the COVID COVID-19 uh, restrictions. And now all of a sudden people are so damn gun shy to, to pivot because they've been told, no, you're not supposed to do it that way so many times where, you know, back then when there was no COVID-19, it was okay maybe not to try that. But now that we have to, because the whole game has changed in yep. business, now we're afraid to make those pivots and people are losing their businesses. Yep. Roger, let's pivot to pivoting because that was my next question anyway. Um, I have said many times if, when somebody in a company says to me, well, that's the way we've always done it. My immediate, <laughs> my immediate response is, and yet somehow you're still in business despite that. Yeah. Whether or not I actually believe that they're, they've been doing it so badly that that's a fact, I say that because I want them to pause and think, what are our processes actually doing? How, I mean, where did this actually come from? Is this a permanent overreaction to a temporary blip on the radar? What happened here? So here we are in this COVIDian era that we don't know when it's going to end, uh, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, we can look at the Spanish flu and guess two years, but we don't know. Uh, at any rate, there's a lot of pivoting going on. So as we pivot to pivoting and pivot to what the business coach has been saying about pivoting for years, how do you see business owners and their teams pivoting today? Well, they're, they're pivoting with a lot more fear of yeah. the unknown just because of what what we're dealing with right now with, with everything going on in our economy. But, you know, the, the fact of the matter is everybody hates change. You know, unless you're a wet baby, you're the only person on earth that wants change. And uh, <laughs> I love that. You know, and, and, and to me, you know, the, 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 you know, the current status is that the pandemic has made us change to degrees that we've never even thought of doing before. And yeah. so we're, we, we wake up every day with so many new unknowns and so many new fears because of, because of that. And then you get some coach that comes in and says, yep, we need to pivot. You need to pivot. Well, what do you think I've been doing for the last 12 months? So, so now really all you're doing is just adding more and more complexity and, and, uh, and crap into this person's mind. And, you know, once again, the one thing I like about your approach and I try to use with my approach is that we, we take each pivot and we break it down to the, the bare minimum. So it's more easy to navigate through that pivot as opposed to saying, okay, here, add another pivot to your other 15 million pivots that you're already trying to pivot around. And so if, if you take them one at a time and just see it through, and you get that win, all of a sudden that next pivot might be a little bit easier, at least to the mindset, because you've already, you've already had a small win. 
And now all of a sudden you got two small wins. And now all of a sudden you got three small wins. And now all of a sudden it's easier to wake up every day and say, yep, I'm going to be the pivot king today because I've already got a couple small wins. Knowing that, getting back to your story about making mistakes, you know what? I'm on a roll. I'm feeling good. I might, you know, be a little bit ahead of the game. I pivot and I make that mistake. It can't be any worse off than what we're already going through right now anyway. So, you know what? <laughs> Pick yourself off, wipe off the dust, and, and get right back at it and, and change. make a change to that pivot. Getting back to that chef, okay, maybe add a new ingredient just to try something out. You know, yeah. you know make it work. But, but we can't keep beating ourselves up with that, 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 that garbage can full of pivots that we once threw away that we now have to start taking out, eating humble pie and taking them out and reacting to them. Yeah, I, I, I believe that wholeheartedly. And I mean, we've seen businesses have to deal with a lot of things. If they were resistant to the idea of people working from home before, and I personally was affected by that when I worked in corporate, uh, that's another story, but we have so much more to cover here. I can refer people to other episodes if they're interested in that story. Uh, I, uh, you know, now we see situations where it's not a matter of whether the people in the C-suite think that the folks should sit in a cube farm from eight to five. It's a matter of you are being directed to have your people work from home. Would you like to be shut down entirely or were you going to comply? Okay, well, you're going to be pivoting to a work from home culture, whether you like it or not. And what I've also seen, because I track this issue, it's something that I'm very passionate about, is the challenges that companies have seen transitioning to a place where any employees whose physical presence in the office is not absolutely necessary are now being treated as remote workers. Some companies have gotten it very, have gotten it very down pat and have done very well with it. And some have really struggled and caused their and cause their turnover rate to skyrocket as a result of it. And in both cases, what I see is companies are in a situation where they are in in uncharted waters. They're being pushed into this choppy stream without a map. They don't even know where the rocks and the cliffs are, but they got to sail. So what do they do? They sail and they find they're going to have to course correct as they go along. Those who are able to course correct will make it to the, the destination port. Those that won't will probably go off the waterfall. I, I can't I can't agree more, and you know to go one step deeper with that uh, that analogy is that the companies that are not having a problem with that particular pivot of having remote workers, they already had a good system in place, a good process in place to know what the key metrics for each one of those individual employees that you're referring to that are now staying at home, and they're monitoring monitoring those performances to make sure that that the that the efficiency and productivity has not gone down yeah. and if it has they they they're making the 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 the, the immediate pivots to, <laughs> to 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 make that get back to where the production level was before but those guys already had the foundation established before this new change to working remotely it's right. the guys it's the guys that didn't have those processes in place. They had no idea what their key metrics were. So they were just working each day by the seat of their pants. 
And now because they're now even more stressed out than, than what they were before the pandemic, because they just weren't running their business very well and very organized, that now all of a sudden they're feeling the stress of the pandemic, the loss of business, the restrictions of only being 25% open, 50% open, whatever that might look like. And now all of a sudden they're taking it out on those people who they have given the opportunity to, to keep only doing so-so because they weren't told to do anything different than that yeah. because that was never in place. And so now they're really feel, realizing that that pivot that they should have made years ago about understanding their key performance, you know, indicators and really, you know, having a plan to measure those every week, look at them every week or whatever period of time and making sure that all the safeguards are in place to keep the efficiency and productivity happening. Now it's catching up with them and now they're panic. And if it wasn't the pandemic itself making them panic, it's now that they realize that they never had the right systems in place in the first place. Yeah. Also, I think some understandings. I love the site statistics. Uh, there's one number I love in particular, and I think it's an average of several different studies that shows if you have somebody working in an office from eight to five with an hour for lunch and their two 15 minute breaks, the actual amount of time they're going to spend doing productive things comes out to about two hours and 54 minutes. The rest of it's going to be eaten up in pointless emails, pointless meetings, pointless water cooler chatter, uh, needing to space out because you're just not firing at the moment and all other sorts of things. So the average eight hour a day office worker is putting in three hours of productivity. Now, the funny thing is when they transition to a work from home environment without uh, the co-workers hovering around and dealing with the vagaries of cubicle culture and the meetings and everything else, they can actually get their work done in about two hours and 54 minutes. Yep. So some companies don't know what to do about this. And, and some of the tactics I've seen is they actually start just calling more and more and more and more and more and more and more Zoom meetings to force people to sit by their computers for eight hours having meetings that, boy, if you thought the in-person ones were pointless, <laughs> you ain't seen nothing yet. <laughs> you thought you thought the you thought the previous meetings should have been an email. These new e meetings should be exercised or they make people log into internal chat systems like Slack or or the, or the company Skype or something like that. And then they just randomly message people to make sure they answer. And they also forbid them to put the apps on their smartphone so they can't go out in the field and then answer. But really, why couldn't they? If I'm working from home and I know that my hours are from nine to five and nothing's going on at the moment, can I put an app on my smartphone so that if I've done with my two hours and 54 minutes worth of actual work, but I'm the on-call person to deal with customer issues, for example, that if I want to, that if things are quiet and I want to go grab a mocha, I can do that. And I see that uh, I'm down at the coffee shop if it's open and I get an alert saying there's a customer chat coming in, whip open the laptop or the tablet, take that chat, do the job. Does yep. the customer still get served? Does the company still get their full value, even though I'm not sitting in front of my home computer? And, and if you can count on that owner or that manager to realize exactly that scenario, yeah, businesses are, are going to come out of this pandemic all right. Those are the ones that are, those are the ones that are pivoting. I, yeah, as, exactly. as, as I see it, and they're and they're recognizing that in some I mean, in some cases, yeah, you have to have the eight you have to have the eight hour day with the hour for lunch. These are yeah. manufacturing type environments. These are certain physical service type environments that. 
that's just the way it is. And even with that, you can still use that time more effectively, more efficiently. But there are a lot of folks who are put into that nine to five Monday through Friday, and it's a vestige of the industrial revolution and services, practices, and businesses that were never industrial in the first place. Yep. Amen to that. And, and it, yeah, and going back to that, part of the reason you have that nine to five is it goes back to labor protection laws that made sure that people got overtime for over 40 hours work. It uh, gave the workers rights. And that nine to five framework was the box from within which they could fight for their rights to get paid equitably, to be able to have a difference between their work and their outside work life, to be uh, not made to work unpaid, to get their benefits, to get their vacations and everything else. Uh, and now we may see a need to pivot to new ways for workers to defend their rights. And I think the new frontier is working from home. And it's a responsibility on the workers part to demonstrate that they have the dedication that even if it takes them two hours and 54 minutes to do their work, they will still commit to being logged in for those eight hours. And if that little thing dings that says, uh, hey, we need you, they will be on their computer in about 10 seconds, ready to go. Amen, amen to that, I, I yeah. love it. But I, I just read a study the other day that you know how there's that argument that people can or people can't multitask. Yeah. And so, you know, a lot of different you know, major universities did studies on it that said that if if you are really trying to multitask, your brain is going to get the feel the impact of something equivalent to smoking pot. You're going to get that that wow. that that pothead right to where you're you're just now numb all over. And what they're finding out now that is with school being closed and parents working from home. They are now doing multitasking like they've never had to do before because now they got to help their kids through their their Zoom calls with their teachers or online classes. They got to do their work. They got to take care of all the stuff without, you know, being at home, which is going to be just constantly interruption one time after another. And what they're finding out now is that 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 pothead I referred to earlier is even more pronounced because now they're having to multitask like they never have before. They're trying to, you know, make a living. So they're trying to be a good, dedicated employee. But at the same time, they've got their kid in an adjacent room, having troubles getting on with their uh, virtual classrooms and all this kind of stuff. And that's where you're seeing a lot of really good workers absolutely get themselves burned out to the point that they're looking to make a change. And it's for no other reason, not because they don't like their job, is because they just are feeling numb due to this this equivalent of smoking pot because they're multitasking to a degree that they never had to before. Yeah. Uh, I've seen that particular study you're referring to, the whole pothead thing, and I've also mentioned something in my book, the Groundhog Book. It's that quote from that eminent physician, Charles Emerson Winchester III, who said in the introductory episode where he brought that character on to MASH, I do one thing at a time, I do it very well, and then I move on. Yep. <laughs> when, it come, when it comes to certain things like life-saving surgery, I would definitely prefer the guy who does one thing at a time, does it very well, and then moves on, 
versus Winchester's predecessor, Major Frank Burns, who famously said, I have two hands. Why do I only have one patient? <laughs> you know, and, and as long as those, those surgeons doing those life-saving surgeries, as long as they're doing that from an operating room and not their home office, I'll be happy. Yeah, I yeah I would prefer to not uh, to not uh, have uh, to have a uh, ventricular aneurysm sewed over via Zoom. I, that would work great for me. <laughs> yeah, I I I can concur a hundred percent on that one. Yeah. So so in this in this conversation, we have uh, moved to the point where now we're going beneath the surface, and we use the whole work from home thing as a tangible example that a lot of people I think can relate to, even independent consultants who don't go on site anymore, even people whose business is a seminar business, where they got to do it from virtual locations. So as we find ourselves in situations, we sometimes have to go a little bit deeper. So what's your process for getting to the real issues that clients face? Well, you know, it's funny, I just had a conversation about this with the, with the mastermind group that I facilitate. What's nice about being on a Zoom call with let's say eight or nine other people is that they're all in front of you just like the Brady Bunch was. You know, so instead of sitting around a board table where you're only gonna be able to face at one time the two or three people in front of you, now you get to face in front of them the entire time. And so you really get an opportunity to, to read their body language, watch their eyes to see what's going on. Because so many times I have found people who had a, had a question about something, but because they didn't really know how to interrupt what was going on, they chose not to. So we all know that when, when someone's saying something to you and they say something you don't quite understand, your mind starts focusing on what you don't understand. So while that person's mouth is still moving, all you hear is blah, 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 because you're so still focused on what they just said that you didn't understand. Right. Well, with this Zoom, you know, this virtual meetings now, you can see when they have those moments where, oh, I just got lost there. And so it's, it's good to be able to see everybody's face to where you can now say, okay, let's stop for a minute. Did you have a question on whatever we just talked about? And you can get that now taken care of more immediately and efficiently as opposed to not knowing if anybody had any question or not because you didn't see their reaction because you're sitting around a table and not uh, a Zoom call. Yeah. And the other challenge with Zoom calls, I've cited an article, it's, it's on introvertdeer.com about, it's all about Zoom fatigue. You speak about the verbal, you know, the nonverbal clues and the tells that we give with our body language. One of the challenges that some folks face, whether they're introverted, extroverted, ambiverted, or what have you, is when you look at somebody through a Zoom video conversation, what do you typically see? They're facing straight at you, and you see their head and their shoulders, maybe about down to their solar plexus, or they're doing it from their smartphone or their tablet, so they're actually holding it down and you basically see their chin, which is now amplified to nine times what it is in normal times. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, so, so you see what I'm getting at. The, where, where I'm going with this is you miss some of the other nuances of the nonverbal feedback loop. Like if you and I were sitting next to each other and we were having a protracted conversation, it would be natural that every so often our conversation might go quiet or we might, even without announcing we're going to do it, we might find each of us 
pulling up our phones real quick just to check and see if there's any email coming in or look for a story to continue the conversation or if one of us decides we need to think for a minute before we respond we can use our body language to just shift ourselves it lets the other person know like like if i asked you a question you wanted to think about answering you you're without even realizing your body would shift to signal to me that give roger a minute he's thinking about this one yep so Without all that, and then add on the fact that it's an online environment where anytime you hear silence, you begin to wonder if you lost the internet connection, and that can wear you out. That can wear you out. Yeah. yeah. That's, part the, that's part of the reason why the Business Creators Radio Show is an audio-only show. And I've been, I've heard all about how it would be more engaging with this video or what have you. But I also know from speaking with our avid listeners that most of them do this streaming in the background while doing other things. So I put pattern interrupts and shock factors into my episodes sometimes depending on how far I can get away with it based on my guest avatar and the guests themselves sometimes I'll just drop f-bombs into my episodes uh, I don't know if that's appropriate here but I've done it before uh, and the, the reason I do that is not so much to be a shock jock but to snap people out of that hypnosis and say whoa what what just happened oh did, did, did I miss something really good and it causes exactly. them to do two things. Number one, tune in because something profound may be happening here that they don't want to miss out. Could be the slight edge in their business success today. And B, subscribe to the Business Creators Radio Show so they can get fresh episodes delivered straight to them, including the replay of what they just missed. All, all great advice. And uh, yeah, and now for no, 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 pause. For our listeners, I want you to notice that I put an embedded command in there and then I paused. And then I said, pause again. Now go ahead, Roger. That intention was actually, by the way, in, intentional because I wanted to, uh, I wanted to illustrate the power of this. Please go ahead. I actually, no, 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 on no. purpose for that reason. No. And I, I appreciate that, but uh, you're, you're so right. It, it does make you feel there's an awkward moment there when there's too much silence. Even yeah. though it might just be for two or three seconds, there's that awkward, awkward silence that uh, you don't know if you're supposed to say something or not. So I fell right into that trap. Yeah. If somebody had tuned in right at that moment, they didn't hear anything, they might refresh their screen because they didn't know that I yep. was actually demonstrating the power of pausing. They might think that there was a connection issue. So, so imagine that 10 times a day on 10 Zoom calls a day. <laughs> You can get worn out pretty quick. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, I think that that's a major issue when it comes to just how we use the technology to communicate in ways we never saw before. And sometimes it's these little things that may seem unrelated, but they may be either the drivers or the turbochargers pushing the issues that you're facing as a consultant. Yes, every, every day, every yeah. day. Uh, it's like that. Yeah. So we've uh, dealt so much with the with the challenges and the layers that happen. And we've also dealt with one of the topics that's near and dear to my heart is what gets in the way of allowing consultants, coaches, and mentors to be able to acknowledge that the environment has changed and the answer that they swore by yesterday is no longer the answer today. I'll say very quickly that one of my early bosses gave me a piece of advice about this. He said, 
you don't ever have to admit you're wrong, but you always have to be ready to amend your previous answer. And then he said, you know, you told me you told me you liked uh, history. You like American civics. I, yeah, I said, yeah, it's one of my things. He said, have you noticed that we amend the Constitution? And when we amend it, we're not saying that the way it was written before was wrong. We're just saying that because the times have changed, we need to do things differently. So we amend it. And that's why we've had the same constitution here in the United States for over 230 years. However, if we were saying, oh, that's wrong, we would probably be on our 14th constitution. We probably would have had several dictatorships in the meantime. That's, that's a great boss you had. Yeah. That's great. That's great advice. Yeah. So I, so I wanted to bring that up one more time because that is a topic that's so near and dear to my heart, the ability to amend and the ability to pivot so that you don't ever have to admit that you're wrong and you're sorry. And you'll never do it again because that smacks right into the programming you received as a child and inhibits you as an adult, particularly as a, as a guide and a mentor who helps others. So with all that being said, how do you create the right strategy and processes to help the client? Well, you know, it, <clears throat> I, I wish that there was a, a simple pill that everybody could take that it's going to fix everybody. But really, you, you got to get into the, you know, the, the deeper psychology of what that person was trying to accomplish when they opened up their business and, and get back to what that original vision and mission was when they opened up the business. And then once you get that re- reintroduced to that person who's been just so caught up in that, you know, that waist high pool of the alligators biting at them every day that all of a sudden now they, they can start to see that light at the end of the tunnel that they created back when they first opened up their business. And then once you get that, like you said earlier, the, the name of this podcast is to turn the lights on, you know, you know, now that once you've reintroduced that light to them, it's a whole lot easier for you to talk to them about really what is necessary, what pivot do they need to make, what, you know, what do they need to do differently now because their mindset is ready for that. But if that light switch is still turned off or that door is still closed and there's no lights coming on, it is hard to get that person to think about anything that has to do with change or pivoting because their, the, their mindset is just not open to that at that moment. Yeah. And that's another thing, too. Sometimes we have to meet people where they are. They may not be ready to receive the message. Yep. Uh, and you also, and, there, and there's also situations where, as their mentor and their guide, you may know that they need to take an, act, an action based on your work and across 40 other clients over 20 years that they are actually in a situation. And as the late Ronald Reagan said, if you can't make them see the light, make them feel the heat. I'm paraphrasing him. I think he had it off by one word or something like that. But the idea being is sometimes you do have to let people go through their paces and recognize for themselves in alignment with their own truth, the importance of what they need to do. And their truth may not be your truth. Yep. That's how we reach people is when we understand. And that's why I say so controversially, there's no such thing as the truth. I'm making the point that everybody has their own truth based on how they perceive the facts through the lens of their own experiences, education, and worldview. And with clients, you sometimes have to allow for the fact that their truth is the opposite or different than yours and give them the opportunity to see it for the reasons that make sense to them, if and when they do. Uh, 
that is such great advice. I know I learned a long time ago that if I was trying to get my management team to to do something new, to make that pivot, whatever that is, if I'm the one that introduced the pivot, there was a really, really better chance than not that it was going to fail because it was my idea. But if when I learned how to bring up conditions, situations, scenarios, and let them make what it sounds like their choice on what the recipe, the new recipe should look like, it was now almost guaranteed it was going to work. And that's where I learned to, to, to really navigate the conversation to where the, the people feel like their idea is the best one and, and now it works as opposed to me saying exactly what they agreed to, but because I'm the one that said it first because I need to hear myself be heard, all of a sudden now there's a great chance, better than not, that it's going to fail. Hey, when I, when I worked in fast food, uh, when I was in college, I had a part-time job working in a fast food place. Uh, I can tell you that every so often these corporate pinheads would come in with their organizational flow charts and <laughs> new ways of doing things that, that didn't even bear any resemblance to the actual issues we faced opening the place, serving the food and closing the place down at the end of the shift. Yeah. Uh, and, they, and they would come through with their, you know, we'd have to follow these new policies and the order in which we were supposed to perform tasks. And I can tell you, I can tell you right now that uh, more than one time, uh, you know, we and the crew would just say, no, we're not doing this. And management would really have no choice but to go along with that. Because even they recognized that uh, this was being imposed by people who had probably never been in the back end of a fast food restaurant, <laughs> didn't even know what the kitchen looked like. Yeah. Didn't, didn't even know that it technically wasn't a kitchen. It was a prep area because the kitchen was the front line. But they called yep. the back end the kitchen. That's how far out of it they were. So, yeah, they weren't going. And and if you got so, we got some manager that said, this is the book and this is what the book says, then we would engage in malicious compliance and just show them how bad it was. And when everything ran late, when there was no food for the customers, when uh, people had to clock out with their work being done because of the laws protecting them from overtime and things like that. And we had to say, hey, we did it by the book. You insisted we do it by the book. So tell us about that book. That's That, to me, is the analogy and the metaphor that I use for when you come in and tell people they have to change, the reaction you're likely to get versus if instead corporate had approached us and tied in their message of changing the procedures to our frustrations about the things that weren't working. Because we had those, too. Oh, a a absolutely. You know, and, uh, and you, you hit the nail right on the head when you talked about how sometimes people make decisions on what that pivot needs to look like and feel like, and they have absolutely no experience whatsoever with that particular area of the business. And they're the ones telling you what, what needs to be done. And, uh, that just, that, that absolutely drives me crazy. I used to have a, a boss that used to, we used to always joke about, He's the, the great eagle that comes in, flies on, craps on everybody and leaves. And yeah. uh, because he's not, he was not part of what we did and how we did it. And he's the one telling us how we need to do things better when he had no experience in that realm of the business world anyway. 
Yeah, and 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 if you're if you're put in a management or a boss type position and you don't really know what you're doing, there's still a way to be an effective boss. Uh, it yep. doesn't involve run. It doesn't involve being invisible, except when you come in and crap all over everybody. There's a way to be visible, be present, be with the people, and at the same time raise the leaders and empower them to make the process work where you become the facilitator of the change in the process that's necessary rather than the driver. That is also effective leadership. Absolutely. Yeah. So unfortunately, Roger, we're near the top of the hour and I could speak with you all day long. In fact, hopefully we will get to sit down in person one time relatively soon. But in the meantime, uh, for those of our listeners who are now beginning to see how to make that pivot and turn the lights on, where do they go from here with you? Uh, how do they connect with you? And what do they have to look forward to when they do? Well, the one thing that I'm uh, very proud of is that my my cell phone is on me 24 hours a day because okay. we never, you never know when, uh, when something is going to happen and they need help that immediate moment. And so they can reach me on my cell phone, which is going to be displayed there at your website, but also... It's 509-366-2953. Yeah. But, but then what they're going to get from me when they talk to me is they're going to really get a colleague, first and foremost. I'm, I'm a business owner right now with three businesses that are up and running through the pandemic. So when they're talking about issues that's happening with them, they're going to get a conversation, have a conversation with another co, you know, business owner, colleague, in the same place that they are right now or have been in that same place. So they're going to get real life information, practical information, practical knowledge, practical steps by step processes. That's going to help them right now. That is going to help them sooner than later. The, the last thing I want to do that I hopefully I never do is give out theoretical or advice that I learned in a book that I haven't really put into place myself. Yeah, I I understand. I understand that as well. It's a kind of a tough balance there. Sometimes what you have is the knowledge in the book, and you're looking for an opportunity to test it. So, uh, yep. but what? But I think what I think people are going to love about you is your authenticity, uh, your concern, your real world experience, and your ability to understand the workings of the human mind in a way to make them a contributing partner in the process rather than a recipient. And to me, that's what makes an effective business coach and effective business consultant, which is why I do encourage people to check you out. So Roger Sargent, thank you so much for being with us today. It's been an honor and believe me in education. Well, thank you, Adam. You're more than welcome. And thank you for those nice words and all your great advice. We trust you enjoyed today's episode of the Business Creators Radio Show. Check out our previous and upcoming episodes on our website at www.businesscreatorsradioshow.com. While you're there, be sure to subscribe via your favorite network so you get fresh episodes delivered straight to you. Until next time, have a great day. Take care.